0: All of a sudden, the publishers don't want to see anything else from me. And I realize, shit, you know, it's not what you've done in the past. It's what have you done lately. And it's a huge hit. It's a huge ego blow when you realize this, that there's not a lot of loyalty. And I still had two more books to write.
1: It starts with just taking that leap.
0: Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose
1: something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are yeah. going to be proud of. It. it doesn't matter how badly you got beaten in Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, with a better business. Go with your gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Despite having two hit book series under her belt, it was this moment that Kimberly caught a glimpse of the publishing industry's true nature. The world of literature had a short-term memory, and she was only as good as her most recent book sales. No matter how proud she was of her stories or how many book tours she'd finished, it felt like maybe she would never get the chance to reach the same heights. Luckily, this burnout didn't last forever, and Kimberly Dirting is here with us today as an established author in both young adult fiction and children's books. She mixes the genres of horror, mystery, and romance to create the captivating narratives of the award-winning Body Finder series, as well as the Pledge and the Taking trilogies. But before she spun these unique worlds from scratch, Kimberly was an imaginative kid who spent her days reading at the library and checking out the new releases at the neighborhood bookmobile. Words provided an escape from the darkness of her surroundings, banishing her home life and rough and tumble neighborhood with the flip of a page. I would love to go back to the beginning of your life. You were raised in Seattle, and and you were you bounced around a little bit too, but like maybe some of your earliest memories from childhood.
0: Like you said, I bounced around a lot. My parents divorced really early. I think I was four years old. But I remember my parents being married um, and I do remember the divorce. I remember going from having two parents to one parent. Do you remember
1: feeling anything at that point?
0: Um, I remember I always wanted my parents to be married. So all through my childhood, I was kind of angry, which now with hindsight would have been a disaster. My parents would have been horrible together and I would have been a mess if they'd have stayed together. But I remember always wanting a house instead of an apartment. I wanted a house with a backyard. I wanted of the quintessential perfect beaver cleaver life and we didn't have that we were incredibly poor and all my friends most of my friends had that and so my mom worked really hard two jobs a lot of times as a waitress and she put herself through school but we were on welfare lived in project housing which was like low-income housing and um free lunch. I remember being so embarrassed of getting free lunch standing in because they were separate lines at school. You know, we were in the free lunch line. So I think about this a lot. I think about what being poor does to somebody. I think it can do a couple of things. I think for some people, it just kind of is a cycle that you fall into. I remember seeing a lot of the families in our neighborhood who were kind of just in low income housing and on welfare. I think they didn't have the tools to do anything differently. They came from uneducated families which you know my mom was kind of first generation college, but they didn't really know any better. And I think for some people and this was the case with me is it gave me a drive. I wanted I looked at the kids who did have families and who did go to school and who had more. And that's what it did for me is I, I didn't want to live there. I didn't want to be in that neighborhood. I was, I had a lot of shame from being poor and it made me realize that I didn't want to kind of repeat the cycle.
1: You mentioned like some of these, these kids in the neighborhood didn't have the tools to escape that. But I imagine your mom going to college, like probably learned some of those tools that she could pass on to you. Do you feel like she like supported you in any way and either like your creative pursuits or just like in supporting that drive that you mentioned?
0: My mom was the kind of person who didn't push us. She never said we had to do something. We didn't, she didn't say we had to go to school. I actually did everything wrong. I did everything wrong along the way. I dropped out of high school because I was working and it got in the way of my job But what my mom did right was she told my brother and I, we could do anything we wanted, be anything we wanted, that we were smart. We were funny. It was really just the three of us, my mom and my brother and I, and we could count on her like 100%. She was, she had her own set of problems. She was very depressed all the time and kind of struggled with serious, serious depression, but we knew, I knew if I called my mom up and she was at work and I said, I need you, she would drop everything and come and be there for us. So we were very supported and loved. I think every kid needs somebody that they can count on. And she was that for us.
1: Did she like introduce you to like books and writing and libraries and, and, and stuff like that too?
0: Yeah, she definitely did. So even though we didn't have a lot, my mom was like, very creative with what we did have or, you know, she would take us to the library. I remember checking out even the same book over and over, like Charlotte's Web, I probably checked out like on repeat um, when I was really little. Stone Soup was one of my favorite books and I would read it over and over again. Even back then they would send us home with like these tickets to the fair, like the free tickets, you know, that the kids get at school. I don't know if you guys get those, but we'd get like tickets to the carnival or the circus my mom would take us like we would all you know we would go do fun things she would take us camping she would take us to museums I mean anything that was inexpensive or free whether it was cultural or just fun we would do it and in our neighborhood because it was a low-income neighborhood the bookmobile would come through our neighborhood and it was like a library on wheels. And so we would go and check out books all the time. So books were a huge part of my childhood and my mom was a reader. So we always had books around the house. She would read all the time. And so she was a great example for reading.
1: What kind of stories did you find yourself like attracted to at that time?
0: So when I was little, I was super into like Talking animals. That was my thing. I loved everything E. B. White. Charlotte's Webb was probably my favorite childhood book. Trumpet of the Swan, all of those books. Um, but I shouldn't even say talking animals, any animal books. I really wanted a horse, which of course we're not gonna get in low income housing. So but Black Stallion, Black Beauty, um, my friend Flicka, all the horse books. I read all of the horse books and um My neighborhood when I lived in Idaho was next to this horse farm and I would stand outside the horse farm and pet the horses and pretend they were my horses. And my mom was really, I would say a little bit crazy in the sense that she would let us have a lot of animals. We had lizards and rabbits and
1: cats. Just bring them from outside. I
0: would like show up with a pet and she would let us keep it. And, um, One time we caught this escaped rabbit and we named him Lucky and we kept him in our house, in our apartment. I remember finding this dog one time and he, he was so sick. He was this, probably a black lab, some kind of black lab mix. He was sickly and I took him to the vet. I was 10 years old and they said he had distemper and he was super sick and he wasn't going to live and I wouldn't accept it. Because they said it would cost a lot of money to treat him. I went door to door collecting money from neighbors in our apartments to try and treat him. And I walked in and dropped all this change on the desk and said, you know, you need to treat this dog. And I think they probably took him and had him put down. But I mean, I was my mom just would let us do things like
1: this. Yeah. But I love that story because it's like you're taking your your life and now this dog's life into your own hands. Like you're creating the the world that you wanted, or at least like you're imagining the world you wanted. And I imagine like these books served as an escape to that world. Do you think books serve that kind of purpose where it was like, let me let me see if I can create a reality that I feel completely comfortable in?
0: Right. Like the Boxcar Children. I don't know if you ever read those books, but they were the kids who like made their own life and they didn't like, they were orphans and they found this train car and they basically built a life inside this train car. And I love those books because they were kids who did it, exactly that, they built their own reality.
1: You were also becoming more interested in in writing. Tell me a little bit about falling in love with, with writing.
0: Seventh grade was the year I took journalism for the first time because we had electives. And I remember the teacher, his name was Mr. Warney, and I started writing articles for our school paper and realized I was actually pretty good at it. I liked it a lot. And um, he was a really good instructor, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna be a journalist. That was my first my my goal. I was gonna be a journalist. So Again, I started taking steps and figuring out what a journalist has to do. And I realized pretty quickly that a journalist lives a pretty rough life. A real, you know, like I started looking at like Time Magazine, like real journalists and what they do. And they go to war-torn regions and they live in jungles. And, you know, these Pulitzer Prize winning journalists do a lot of things that I probably don't want to do. But I also realized I was pretty good at writing. And so I started you know, signing up for creative writing classes. And and the other thing I realized I was good at is even in classes that weren't writing classes, history classes, um, social studies, if I didn't study, I could still write my way through a paper, through a, through a subject.
1: Why do you think you were good at it?
0: I think some people have a natural aptitude towards it. And a lot of it is reading. I read a lot of books. And so... I, you know, I'd basically been training for it my whole childhood. And I spent a lot of time making up worlds in my head, worlds that I'd rather be than in the world I was living in when I was little. And so creative writing actually came supernatural to me.
1: Why do you think it was so important for you to like create those other worlds when you were younger?
0: I mean, as As great as my mom was, there was a lot of darkness in my childhood. My dad wasn't around. He was around in bursts, but he was also absent a lot. I missed having him around, and I was very, I was sad a lot about him being gone. I was sexually abused as a child, and it was It was kind of brushed under the rug a little bit when I told about it. So it did happen again. And so I kind of internalized a lot. I think I learned to kind of compartmentalize things. And some of that was kind of separating darkness and daydream. Like I would kind of build these worlds where I would spend a lot of time thinking about, wouldn't it be cool if... I think that's what a lot of kids who go through trauma... Wouldn't it be, be cool if my life was? And so I did a lot of wishing. I, you know, that's the only way I can even describe it is wishing for something different, wishing for something more.
1: Your life gets a little bit more complicated when, when you get pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. how, how how did that uh, affect mm-hmm. your life?
0: I mean, how does it affect your life? <laughs> I So I was... I dropped out of high school. I was working at the time. I was very driven. So my senior year of high school, I dropped out because it was in the way, school was in the way of my job. And I immediately regretted dropping out of high school. My mom, I asked my mom to take me to the community college to enroll in basically high school classes that that following. So I dropped out in April of my senior year. Crazy, enrolled for September um, of the following Wait, year. Why did you
1: drop out of April of your senior? Year? Like wh- I had wh- wh- missed. Why? why?
0: I had missed a lot of days of school because I would stay up late working. I would be in, work till midnight, and then I'd be so tired I couldn't get up to go to school, or I wouldn't get up to go to school. And by April, I. It was at the point where I couldn't miss one more day or I would not graduate anyway. And I just decided, screw it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to drop out. I just don't want to do it. And immediately, I remember going around to my teachers. They had to sign off on it. And my yearbook teacher, who was one of my, he was one of my favorite teachers. I was a copy editor for the yearbook and I went to him and I went to have him sign off. And he said, I don't think you should do this. You're making a huge mistake. And I was like, eh, my decision, sorry. And he signed it begrudgingly. Like he just did not want to do it. And, um, and he was right. I shouldn't have done it. I should have just powered through. It was two more months. And, um, this, like within a week, I realized I had fucked up. Like that was, Hmm. I just shouldn't have done it. And so then you
1: couldn't go back now because you had missed too many days. Then I
0: really crossed, there was an 18 day threshold and I'd already cried just way gone over the threshold. And, um, so we, I enrolled for September. I needed, I think two or three classes at the community college. And, um, that July I got pregnant and I, it was with somebody. I mean, ultimately, I married him, and um, I got pregnant. But I was—I decided I was still going to finish. I needed to finish high school, so I went to school and finished while I was pregnant. And um, I had my daughter. Was
1: that hard.
0: It, it was not easy. It was, but it was—it was worth it. I mean, I, I i would rather have had the degree, the diploma, than a GED. For some reason, that was important to me. And so I finished, um, had my daughter in March, and it was 10 days before I turned 19.
1: Wow, what are you thinking about, like thinking about the, your future at that point?
0: At that point, I don't think I was great at thinking about my future. I think I was still too young all I was thinking about is surviving at that point. I married, married my first husband then. And, uh, I was a terrible wife. I think I was a good, I was a good mother, but I wasn't a good wife. And so we didn't last long. We lasted three years and during, but that was when I wrote my first novel. That was, when I decided I wanted to be, I still knew I wanted to be a writer. There was never a point in there where I did not want to be a writer. Um, I just wasn't sure how to get there. And so again, I sat and figured it out. I went to the library and figured it out because we didn't have the internet. And so um, I remember for, I can't remember if it was Christmas or my birthday, I asked for a word processor and um, I wrote a horror novel and it was great experience. I wrote the book from beginning to end. I, it took me probably a year and a half to write, and it was horrible. It was super convoluted, um, and, but I started sending it out to editors, and it was snail mail, so everything took forever, um, and I, but I had this one editor at William Morrow, who took the time to read the entire manuscript. I mean, this is a long thing. I mean, she committed to it and she- How
1: many pages was it? I
0: mean, it was probably 400 pages. And she read it and she wrote me back a two page single spaced letter of the things she liked about it and the things that still needed work. And then she encouraged me to find an agent. And I thought, okay so it, it
1: what did you think about getting that letter back? it was
0: i mean i pra- i practically framed it and so but her letter was encouragement it probably was double-edged because the encouragement was probably more than the book deserved it needed a lot more work than i probably was willing to put into it but it also i photocopied i went to the I don't know if it was Kinko's or wherever, photocopied the letter and started sending it out to agents. And wow, I got an agent who submitted the book. And uh,
1: wait, wait, wait. So, so you started this, uh, uh, what when you, when you were 19, the book. Mm -hmm. And so now it's, uh, you finished it a year and a half later. Yeah. And so at this point, are you like 21, 22? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you're like finally getting around to like getting it. Oh, well, not getting around. They're finally getting an agent for this. Like, are you feeling like okay? This has traction. Mm-hmm. This is moving in the right direction. Like, this is gonna be the next big thing. Right.
0: So yeah. I did. I, I think, and I, I hung my hopes on that. I w- so I didn't start another project, which was a huge mistake. You know, like everything you know is everything I know now is. Once you set that ne- that book aside and start querying and stuff, you start something else. At the time, I was just not... I didn't have the maturity level to know that this wasn't a one and done. I wasn't going to make my fortune off this book. And um, so, you know, the, I, I think this agent was one of those people who saw the letter and thought, okay, this is going to be an easy sale. And of course, it wasn't because the book wasn't ready. And so... I got, I, I really got hung up on this book for like 15 years, which is 15 15 years. Years. I would, I know I would edit it. I would, you know, it got the rejections. I've had, I had two agents for it. I would edit it, you know, revise it, send it back out. I spent so much time on this book when really the book was a lesson. The book taught me how to sit down and write something from beginning to end. It taught me how to revise. I learned the business of how to find an agent. Um, and then a friend, when I was around 35, gave me a middle grade book called The Black Tattoo by Sam Sam Entoven. And I read that and I thought, this is I think I could write maybe not middle grade it was a older it was an older middle grade but I thought I could write young adult or middle grade and I think that's really what I was writing.
1: And so you basically realized okay like I have my next or maybe not like next idea for a project but the next focus for that project. So how did you find the the next idea that you wanted to focus in on?
0: And I was in the process of kind of querying around with that and not really having much luck, my husband and I were driving and my husband is one of those people who is incredibly supportive and also a little bit dorky about throwing out ideas, but he's always been really supportive of my career. And he one day throws out this idea. He goes, what if there's a girl who could, or what if there's a kid? Cause all of his characters in his books are like 13-year-old boys. He said, "What if there's a kid who can find dead bodies?" And I thought, "Wow. That's kind of an interesting concept. I kind of love that idea." In my book, that kid is going to be a 16-17-year-old girl because that's those are the characters in my books. And so, within about half an hour. I had formulated an entire plot around this character who could find dead bodies. Really? Yeah.
1: In half an hour. Within an hour. So the idea struck. Yeah. And then bam, you have an outline. Yeah.
0: And so I wrote that book in about four months. I had come up with the idea. After it took 15 years to. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh my God.
0: And at the time there was a conference called the BEA. It's the Book Expo of America. And it was going coast to coast. Every other year it would be in New York. Every other year it would be in LA. And this was the year it was coming to LA. They had what was called a pitch slam. Agents would have like basically speed dating for agents. And so my husband said, I think you should go to LA. And I thought, you know, we're in Seattle. That's, it's kind of a big commitment for possibly no payoff, you know? kind of didn't want to do it but you know he was very persistent i think you should do it i really think you should do it so i signed up to do it and so i you know they're they're all lined up in a row all these agents are at a table like right next to each other so you can hear everybody else's pitch you're standing in line in front of the agent you want to pitch and it's kind of like a crazy situation you have three minutes everybody gets three minutes and it's timed. somebody's calling out like one minute left 30 seconds and then once your pitch is over that's high it's so high pressure and the next and then you don't get any time to linger they just move on to the next next person in line moves up in the row and you can hear everybody all i can hear are rejections i mean the whole time I'm sorry. This doesn't sound like something I'm interested in. And, and down the entire row, I didn't hear anybody getting acceptances. Wow. So I'm waiting in line and I'm kind of sweating a little bit and I get my turn in line comes up and I walk up and I, I'm in front of the number one agent in my choice. And I start in, I start telling her what the body finder's is about. And I get to the part where, um, you know, I finished up my pitch. I'm, you know, it's about a girl who can find dead bodies and how she locates them. And she asked me, is this an urban or a rural setting? And I can't remember what either of those words mean now. You know, I'm so flustered. And I said, it's an urban setting. And she starts to reach down and pass a business card across the table. And I'm thinking, oh my God, she's asking for pages. And I think, It's not an urban setting. It's a rural setting. Like all of a sudden, I understand what the word means. And I, I shout out, it's rural. And she goes, that's kind of what I was thinking. And she goes, I'd like you to send me the first 50 pages. And it was the most exciting moment. I went on to pitch seven other agents and only one of them didn't ask for pages. And so I got home and I only sent it to her. And, um, I remember my husband running upstairs at like 11 PM and waking me up and saying, you just got an email. She wants the whole thing. And, uh, it went out on submission, like within a couple weeks, we signed a con- we got on the phone, signed a contract. Um, they asked me, could it be a series? And I said absolutely, whether it could have been or <laughs> not, I had no idea. So uh, I ended up writing all the other books. And
1: what was the reception and like the the build up to actually releasing? When are you sure that it's going to be a success though? Because it's still not guaranteed, right?
0: I'm not sure how many people ever feel like they are they've reached the pinnacle of success. I feel like you know I remember telling. Somebody one time, all I want to do is see my book in a bookstore and that's it. I'll die happy. And then I saw my book in a bookstore, totally happy, very exciting. And then I think, and then you start, you know, there's always something else you want to reach. I think there's always more that you think there is to succeed before you've reached it. And in the meantime, I had written another series. I wrote a book kind of, it's called, I kind of called it my surprise book and it was The Pledge. And I kind of handed it to my agent and said, I wrote a book. And she's like, okay, I guess I'll try to sell this one too. And Simon and Schuster ended up buying that. They both, um, I think both publishers were interested in that one, but Simon and Schuster ended up buying it. And so I did end up working with two publishers, which is also a little bit unusual but they worked together really well. They, they both supported, I was on. So I had kind of an alternating schedule at the same time, body finder was coming out, body finder books, the pledge books were coming out.
1: So you had these like two series basically simultaneously or, and it seems like you're managing and juggling it pretty well. How are you feeling about how you're like what next steps you want to take how you're feeling about like just yourself as an author because like like you are like an act like like i think at this point like very much a working author not with just like one book that's out in in the world it's like like multiple successful books like what are you thinking about yourself and and how you can keep progressing
0: i this is probably where i feel like i've made it like i've got two successful series i'm on tours i'm I'm at conferences. I'm very infrequently authors don't get recognized very often, but it does happen. Occasionally people are coming up and recognizing me, which is really cool. I mean, that's kind of amazing. Um, so I'm, this is where I'm starting to feel like I'm, this is it. I've done it. This is where it's pretty cool. I'm getting, you know, books are being optioned for Hollywood and, Even if they're not being exercised, it's pretty cool to talk to some Hollywood people and, you know, I'm feeling pretty fancy at this point. Um, And then I write a third series called The Taking and it comes in hot. They come in hot with an offer. This is this is an offer. This is now we're talking pretty big money. And I go on a massive tour um, with some pretty, pretty big authors. And The publisher throws a lot of money on it, at it. I'm feeling really good. Well, this book does not do well in cells. Happens pretty quickly that I realized this is not, it's it's a sci-fi series. And I think um, it's, in my opinion, it was some of my best writing. It doesn't hit well. It just doesn't. I don't know why it just does not. And it's not the publisher's fault. I mean, if there was a formula and everybody knew how to, you know, how to make a successful book, how to, what to do, all books would be successful. Um, it just doesn't. And all of a sudden the publishers don't want to see anything else from me. And I realize shit, you know, it's not what, you've done in the past. It's what have you done lately? And it's a huge hit. It's a huge ego blow when you realize this, that there's not a lot of loyalty. And I mean, I think it took me, I mean, I still had, and I still had two more books to write. So under contract with that. And I wrote them and, and did everything I could to support him.
1: Did you view those as those, like, like those books as like, okay, like maybe I can prove myself again. Like, okay, maybe the taking ruined my streak, but I still have two chances to get back on the streak.
0: I mean, I think I hoped at some point, cause they were part of the series. And so I think I kind of, at first thought maybe at some point the taking would pick up so that people would, Keep going, but by the time the third book in the series came out, I knew it wasn't going anywhere. I was so disappointed, and because I still love the book, and so it doesn't matter what I think, though it matters what you know readers think. And it, it's not even the the reviews that the people that are reading it like it, or most of them. It's just that it's not getting picked up, so. Huge ego blow, huge ego blow that, um, that publishers, then I start sending in proposals and, you know, I'm getting a lot of, uh, you know, let's see your next thing, but really what it is, is, you know, your sales were disappointing. And, and so I really kind of stepped back. I was like, I, I can't keep submitting proposals and be rejected. It was very humbling to realize that. I think for me, I just kind of needed to take a step back and kind of figure out what my next step was gonna be. And so uh, during that time period, I had a friend who was kind of toying with picture books and I've never seen myself as a picture book writer ever. I still sometimes will say I'm not a picture book writer even though I have 16 picture books. And my husband said, you need to stop saying that you're not a picture book author. <laughs> Because you are.
1: And what did it feel like to create those?
0: The thing about picture books is it is really fun sometimes to sit down and know that I'm not committing to a two-year process with a picture book. I wasn't sure I could do it at first because it's such a different animal. And so my friend kind of came to me with this idea. She was actually where it wasn't my idea. It wasn't I was going to have nothing to do with it. This was her idea. She said, you know, her daughter had decided not to go to science camp that year because um, they were all boys. And she said, I can't. She was crushed about it. And she said, I really think I want to write a book about a little girl who loves science. And I, I was a biology major when I did go to college. And um, she said, I, I think I want to write this kind of fancy Nancy for science. And I go, great, send it to me. I'll read it for you. And she sent me the first draft and I practically rewrote the draft and sent it back to her. And she goes, oh, these are great notes. I love them. And I said, yeah. And then for if you write another book, we could do blah, 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 blah. And she said, why are you saying we? And I go, no, 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 your book, your book, your book. And she goes, do you want to co-write this? And I said, absolutely not. I'm not a co-writer. I would never co-write a book. And she kept saying, you know, she'd send me a draft and I'd rewrite it and send it back to her. And she goes, great notes. And I go, she goes, do you want to co-write it? And I said, nope, I'm not a co-writer, never going to be a co-author. It would be terrible to co-write something. And we went through this probably three or four times. And finally she said, I think we should do this together. And I go, I don't think it will ruin our friendship. And she, so we sat down and really talked about what it would mean to co-write because We'd been friends and, and critique partners for 10 years. And it we've seen it ruin people's friendships, co-writing. And we talked about how we would do it, what it would mean if something got in the way of, you know, if we disagreed about something and we have disagreed about things and we've gotten in huge arguments about things and had to kind of put our egos aside a lot. And um, we wrote the first book and that one sold... I think in 2018 and just kind of changed my course of what I was doing. It gave me kind of a breather from novels for a little while, which was a nice change of pace for me. And I kind of thought it would be a one and done or maybe a two or three and done. And it's turned into something much bigger.
1: What do you think you like about this medium more and and, and also like what do you like about this medium less than than the novels that you were writing before?
0: Um, one thing I really like about it more is that, well, one, I love working with Shelly, who is my co-author. Um, we're, we're a really good match to work together because she kind of has a fun, silly side about her that, She brings to the table that I'm. I tend to be a little more serious about the writing side of things, and we met. We mesh well together. I like that it's um, a shorter project. Usually, it's kind of been a completely different experience talking to little kids instead of like we went to speak to. We've spoken to a lot of little kids instead. I love teenagers. Don't get me wrong. With the young adult books, they're. They're some of my favorite people, but little kids enthusiasm, um, is great. I love doing that.
1: And how do you make one, like a book like that successful?
0: Uh, I mean, again, it's what the re- it's all in the hands of parents and teachers. This is, that's the other thing is it's not so much in the hands of the little kids. It's reaching parents and teachers, um, at that level. I think because it's a little bit of, it's a little bit educational. It's a little bit fun. I think because they're children of color, you know, they've been a very diverse cast. Kids can see themselves. All different children can see themselves in these books, which is amazing.
1: And as you're I guess like, you know, looking towards the present towards the future, what are you most excited about, about creating, uh, creating next?
0: Well, I just sold my first solo project picture book solo project. And I'm really excited about that. It was, um, it was a little poem I wrote, actually, for my grandchildren, and I'm very excited. I'm excited to see that come into the world because it was like a love story to my about my grandson, um, through the eyes of my grandson, about my granddaughter being born, and I can't wait to see that one come out. And then I'm back to writing novels again, and I'm actually writing adult novels, so... I love being immersed in... I do love writing novels. You talked about writing the beginning. I love writing a beginning of a novel and I love writing the end of a novel. It's the middle where you get kind of tangled up in thinking it's going to be a garbage book, but I love writing. So I love the character development and the worlds and the complications of them. So and back to doing that again.
1: So looking back at, at your story and like the the moments where things went well and the moments where things were harder, like what advice do you think you would give to someone who is trying to become a writer or maybe a, a of novels, like like how how would you tell someone today to like break into that that industry successfully?
0: I mean, I think the most important thing You can do is I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I have an idea for a book. I think the most important thing is to sit down and write your book, like just let it be messy on the page and sit down write every day, Write When you have 10 minutes, don't look for a 10 hour block, look for a 10 minute block Write on your phone. If you have to, a lot of people write in notes. As far as learning the business, there are so many places to learn the business now that You don't have to go sit in a stuffy library anymore. There are so many resources out on the internet to figure it out. There are Reddit feeds. There's um, agentquery.com for finding agents. Um, There's so much out there that, I mean, I wish I'd have had. You have access to authors. Authors will answer you a lot of times if you ask questions. So um, there are so many resources. I think read everything, read outside your genre. Don't just read what you think you want to write, read everything. The other thing is, is I think people think they need to have a creative writing degree. This is one thing I've been asked a lot is what kind of degree should I get? There's no right answer for this because I know people who have no degree. I know housewives who write. I know people, students who are writing. People who have engineering degrees, creative writing, MFAs, um, just there's no answer. If you're a writer, you're a writer. Anybody who writes is a writer.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner.
0: Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lin. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Burkle, Matt Fernandez, Renee Cannon, Sophia Donner,
1: David Saide,
0: Ashley Jimenez,
1: Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux,
0: Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi.
1: Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from
0: Sarah Hobson, Cherise Tan, Harushi Kanauchi, Kristen Hagelin, Aya Cortez, and Valencia Lu. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from
1: Aiden Ashworth,
0: Nikki Mikawa, Sylvie Wong,
1: and Eric Menna.
0: Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand with support from Tiffany Dang, Liu, and Dina Gabriel. To see more of what we're
1: up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.